this is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call on Friday, the 11th of August, 2023. So we... Um, we finally hit the weekend very soon here, and um, we are on the other side of that U.S. July CPI report. That turned out to be a rather non-event. Um, we had the inflation rates mostly coming in line with expectations. Uh, Fed's uh, super core sticky inflation measure is still hovering around 3.5%. And on, uh, on slide three, I've put in our uh, U.S. services CPI index, excluding energy. So that's almost 60% of the CPI basket in the U.S., it uh, it came below 5%, but it's still around that 5% annualized uh, rate. So the inflation, the inflation worries are still are still there. Um, and especially, I think that that's what we talked about on the, in the internal call with, with, with your commodity space. I mean, the market is clearly looking through this inflation report and, and trying to gauge what is going on with the ra- latest uh, price reactions because we have seen and you will talk about that uh, in a in a in a few seconds but you know we've seen pressure on on rise we, energy has recently come back to life etc just quickly before we uh, we talk about the commodities um the S&P 500 futures is just having uh, it's just basically hovering around that 4500 uh, level as you can see on slide 2 yesterday and we'll talk about that in stocks to watch uh, there was a big move in our uh, luxury uh, theme basket was up five percent, and the green transformation uh, part of the our theme baskets universe was really under under pressure. They're down four percent, and um, Ole, I I want to talk about stagflation, but I I, I can get back to that. I think uh, a good segue from the U.S. inflation report and and what's happening in the economy. I think it's it's worth looking at what's happening in uh, in gold because it's it has really been struggling lately. It has indeed, uh, actually, Peter. And and when we um, and and just going back to the uh, the CPI and release yesterday, late in the day, we had uh, Fed's uh, daily out saying that uh, despite this easing inflation, the Fed's uh, is done is not Fed's work is not uh, done yet. Uh, there might be more work to do. And obviously, the service inflation number that you're showing there obviously highlight that if if the if the FMC is hell bent on getting inflation. Down to uh, to the target, then then uh, perhaps a more pain is, is it could still uh, come unless obviously we see the economy start to tank and uh, that could change the narrative and that's why we're also focusing on stagflation. But uh, gold into this has, uh, has 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 really remained range bound now for for the past uh, couple of months. We are in the 1900 to uh, to uh, as you can see here on slide five 1985 uh, range. And obviously, I get keep people keep asking me, well, what what, what is the uh, why are we not higher? We are we are getting close to peak in rates, and uh, and uh, when that happened, and we've seen historically that gold has been doing very well. The problem is that the uh, the peak in rate is not here yet, and uh, in, in the in the meantime, it basically costs you uh, to hold a gold position on a daily basis because gold right now is in the, is, is what we call quite a steep contango. Basically, the cost of funding. So just think about it. You can either buy gold today and hold it for a year, just as an example, or you can put your money into a UST bill. The UST bill right now is yielding uh, pretty close to uh, 6%, um, or five point, a little bit less than that, five and a half, uh, say, round numbers. And that basically more or less reflects 
the cost that gold, uh, the price of gold in a year's time. So um, I put that into the chart here on the, on the right hand side. You can see spot price gold right now is 1916. And why is it trading at above 2000 in a year's time? That's basically because that that is the 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 uh, the, the cost of funding for a year. Basically, mean that that uh, if you're buying it in a year time, then you obviously have to pay a higher price because of because of the 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 income you will receive from holding uh, T bills in the meantime. So. This is a drag because this is a preventing asset managers really from uh, from getting involved right now. And we've seen ETF flows, as you can see in the small insert in the chart there, that there's been been redemptions, uh, reductions in ETF holdings now for the past uh, few months. It continues this week, and uh, we, we're down to levels uh, to total holdings not seen since early 2020. And uh, as long as we continue not to have a clear view on direction on, on interest rates, i.e. when they start to... Uh, turn lower, then this uh, this major contango will act as a drag on the on the market, and uh, it's just worth worthwhile keeping in mind that contango is is not good for commodities. Backwardation is, and backwardation is what we have right now in places like uh, the energy market where we we got tight supply. So uh, just keep that in mind. Well, yeah, all right. Yeah, and I might as well just carry on, uh, Peter, because uh, I only just got one more slide um, because uh, we talked about energy earlier in the week. Uh, but uh, today we have the uh, the monthly uh, WASTI report out from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, World Agricultural Supply Demand Estimates. It's coming out every month and basically it gives the government's take on uh, where production, uh, the, the U.S. production this current year, which runs to uh, August 2024. And uh, also what kind of yields and uh, inventory levels can be expected during that time. And um, as you can see in the insert, the expectations are basically looking for a, a reduction in, in both in production and yields. And um, and again, these are what the, this is priced into the market already. So obviously the actual result needs to either beat uh, what well, the actual result needs to di divert quite a bit away from that to create some volatility. But as we can see. We had this massive rally up in, in July where we rallied more, I think, around 15%. Since then, we the, the rally has deflated quite a bit. Uh, weather has improved in the U.S. and uh, still some concerns about Black Sea shipments. But uh, but generally, wheat prices are relatively well behaved. Not what you find in other areas, as you mentioned, Peter. Rice prices this week hit a record high in, in Thailand. That's the benchmark for Asia. I'll write about that in the weekly update, which comes out uh, later today. All right. Um, I don't. I don't have a, a slide on it, Ole. But um, uh, this morning we we got a, a press release or commentary from the uh, IEA saying that global oil demand just hit a new record uh, and prices may climb. And especially because you have Saudi Arabia uh, charging ahead inside OPEC Plus to uh, to cut uh, cut supplies. I mean, what do you what do you think about the uh, the situation? I mean, if we avoid a recession, then oil then clearly oil demand will continue to to grow. Um, even though you know we're seeing electric vehicles um ramping up, it's it's not really. I mean, we are moving probably towards some type of a peak oil demand moment, but it's it's still some years uh, uh in front of us. But what are you thinking yeah. about how 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 high can we go in in oil if we get the right circumstance circumstance of of, of no recession and a tight supply situation? Well, the tight supply situation we have to remember right now is being uh, is is being um, courtesy of of OPEC uh, plus production cuts, uh, primarily Saudi Arabia. The their voluntary cut that they announced, uh, which started in July, which will run so far until September, one million barrels a day has been taken out of the, the market. Um, and and generally, OPEC uh, Saudi Arabia is producing two million barrels less 
uh, in September than they did a year earlier. So basically, the whole deficit. Uh, OPEC is talking about a the the need the call on OPEC uh, barrels this this second half is basically two million more than what they produce, and that's obviously is creating a tight market. But uh, but the two million barrels could be uh, put back into the market overnight or within a few weeks by Saudi Arabia. So this is a political, I'll say, and uh, economically motivated. Uh, rally we're seeing in crude oil because supply is there, but it's, it's not. It's being held back by some of the major producers, and uh, and so it really is more a question of of how long, how what kind of price will will satisfy Saudi Arabia, Russia, and others. Russia probably would ideally like to see it above a hundred. Uh, also, we got an election in the U.S. next year. Um, they clearly don't like Biden, uh, so that's uh, that's uh, that's another one. But um, but more uh, back to earth. It is the um, it is the question of whether they will add supply back into the market, and and unless they do, and we avoid a recession, then obviously we will have a deficit in the market, which will force prices higher to the point where demand starts to get hurt, and and that potentially could take it back to uh, to to the hundred level. But I think while it's while we have it's, while we have that supply waiting to be unleashed back into the market, um, I'm just a little bit uh, hesitant about calling a sharply higher price at this point. All right, and uh, shifting gear a little bit here, and 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 go back uh, a couple of pages on our slide deck, slide four. I uh, promised, and I uh, delivered on that promise, uh, publishing yesterday an an equity note on equity returns during stagflation, uh, and it's a follow up piece to Steen's, our chief investment officer Steen Jacobson's big call on stagflation light, which he um, uh, very dutifully. Uh, explained in in yesterday's podcast so if you want to understand our call for stagflation stagflation light uh, basically meaning that we have a stagflationary environment but not as harsh or tough as the one we had in the 1970s go listen to yesterday's uh, podcast but i followed up with what does it really mean for for equity returns and on slide four you can see what i call uh, the what, what i call it uh, the stagflation indicator so basically you you add the um, the CPI rate of the uh, the annual inflation rate CPI year and year plus the current unemployment rate and then you subtract real GDP growth that gives you a proxy for the economy and the higher this value is the more stagflation you have because you have a combination of uh, uh, of all three or or some of them but a high inflation high unemployment rate and and lower uh, or a bad real GDP growth and you can see here. In in gray, I've marked the um, the periods where you have had a stagflationary environment, and um, if you if you look at equity returns in those periods where you have the gray areas here, so where we had a stagflationary environment, the equity returns in absolute and real terms were extremely low and bad. It was even negative in real terms compared to the periods where we don't have a stagflationary environment. Maybe not a big surprise, um, but that's um, but that's that's the that's basically the, the crude analysis here. So if we, we swing back into stagflation uh, in the next inflation wave here, um, then potentially it's not a good thing for equities. So so keep that in mind. And then we looked at quarterly returns across equity sectors. We didn't have sector in, uh, sector classifications back in the 1970s. So, but we had we have had them since 1989. And if you look at the period with uh, since 18, uh, 1989. The longest period we had with a stagflationary environment was during the 1990 to 1991 period, also marked by the SNL crisis. 
you we had inflation running above five percent, unemployment rate above six percent, and we had a real GDP growth that went into negative. So that was a nasty, nasty recession. Um, and then the last time we talked about stagflation was a year ago. We had three quarters, according to our indicator, where you had a stagflationary environment. Uh, and that was also while, while you you saw all these analysis from the IMF, the World Bank, et cetera, and economists. If you take those few quarters we've had of stagflation since 1989 and you look at the sector returns, you can see in that little table there on slide four that the defensive sectors, healthcare, consumer stables, utilities, and energy, those are the four best relative sectors, and the worst ones are actually the, the cyclical sectors uh, with IT or technology stocks, if you will, financials and real estate industrials doing the doing the worst during a stagflationary environment. So um, so if we indeed are going into a stagflationary environment, uh, make sure you don't have too high uh, an exposure to technology, financials and industrials and real estate, and make sure you have some defensive tilts. Okay, long spiel there, but if we uh, if we continue along with equities for stocks to watch today on slide seven, two stocks to uh, to highlight. We have um, we had as I said with the luxury st uh, luxury basket, we had a big move yesterday, and it, it was because the the tapestry, which is a, a holding company um, inside the luxury industry in the U.S., had agreed to acquire its competitor Capri Holdings, which is the parent company behind the brand Michael Kors. I think a lot of listeners might be familiated with that uh, brand. And it pushed Capri uh, Capri Holdings shares higher, 56% higher in yesterday's session. So big move there. And obviously it it smells a lot like, um, I wouldn't call it desperate, but uh, an attempt from North America or the US among those luxury providers there to merge and create a size that can really compete with the giants of the European luxury uh, luxury industry, so I think that's an interesting development to track to track right there. And then Alibaba reported earnings yesterday. Um, the results, the Q2 results, were much better than expected, especially on revenue growth, uh, improving improving trends there uh, for the Chinese consumer. A little bit of uh, at odds with some of the negative headlines that are coming out of China. So uh, maybe Alibaba is a signal that things are potentially. Uh, improving. Um, and then if we look ahead, the next week's earnings, I've highlighted in blue here on, on slide eight, some of the earnings to watch. I think on Monday, it's May Twin and Xiaomi in China from a consumer angle there that is going to be interesting, especially with the Alibaba result in mind. Then Tuesday, we have Home Depot uh, on the consumer side of things in the US and home improvement, C Limited, e-commerce in Southeast Asia, new holdings uh, on banking in Brazil, Wednesday, Tencent, obviously an important gauge for the digital economy in China. Cisco on uh, network equipment, so basically CapEx in uh, in some parts of the technology sector. JD.com on the Chinese consumer as well on Wednesday. Then on Thursday, ADN here in Europe, very big and important payments company. Uh, and then Walmart on Thursday as well on the US consumer. And Friday, we close it off with Deer on agricultural farming equipment demand and then Palo Alto Networks on cybersecurity too. So lots to talk about uh, next week on earnings. It's going to be an, an interesting week. Um, or if you haven't fallen asleep, uh, then maybe you can <laughs> uh, you can uh, you can take it over because uh, it's a very light uh, macro calendar. But uh, but maybe you have a few thoughts. Yeah, and indeed, and and uh, it's it's a busy equity week, and it's still a, it's also a week where we're still with, without John, uh, who's still away on holiday. So um, so plenty of time to talk about equities. Uh, but just uh, 
on the FX this week, uh, just uh, just want to highlight it's it's been a we've seen a bit of a broad dollar weakness. Uh, generally, the the main movers has been yen, Aussie, and uh, the Chinese. Remember, the yen has weakened as, as bond yields in the U.S. has moved higher again. Uh, we had an auction yesterday. It did it didn't go that well in the long end, and that uh, lift the rates uh, helps uh, send the weaken the yen. And then we had the uh, the, the whole uh, uh, line of of uh, weakened expected economic data out of China this past week, which has uh, obviously hurt the Australian dollar, but also uh, there's also some some talk about the from the central bank there, but also the the Chinese remember. So so these are some of the highlights of the the FX market this week, but obviously plenty of more uh, on that front when John returns today. As uh, as Peter already mentioned, we had the monthly report out from the IEA later today. We got PPI from uh, from the US coming on top of the CPI yesterday, and then as I mentioned, the Wall report, and finally we have the weekly dose of, of speculative data. Uh, speculative uh, investor uh, intentions and positions from the CFTC uh, tonight. So I'll highlight that in when my cut report returns on Monday. But otherwise, if you can't wait, then I'll probably post some of the findings uh, regarding commodities and forex over the weekend. So you can obviously check in on my 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 Twitter feed just to see what what uh, has has unfolded in the previous in the in the most latest reporting week. So I think that's about it. Um, we are it's it's friday so obviously wish you all a very nice weekend when you get that far in the meantime uh stay safe safe trading and uh hopefully have a nice weekend when you get there thank you thanks for listening this has been the saxo market call for feedback and questions reach out to us on twitter at saxo market call or by email market call at saxobank.com <laughs>